0: We did the thing in LA. Uh, just a little housekeeping note: We are together this morning on the third of October, and on the tenth of October next weekend, we will be together in this format. But the following weekend after that, the weekend of the sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth, what we will do—and I know Maria or Pam or Nancy or somebody will take care of it—is we're going all—we're all going to Rimini, Italy. And Rimini, Italy, is there welcoming us, and we're going to finish up that retreat on the 16th, 17th, and 18th from 6.30 a.m. Pacific time to 10.30 a.m. Pacific time, because remember that in Italy, that is in the evening already. So I'll be mentioning that again, but on the 16th, 17th, and 18th, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Rimini, Italy beckons, so we're hoping that you all have your passports and your bags are packed, because through the magic of Zoom, we're all going on that middle weekend of October. We are in the chapter, We Agnostics. And just to kind of bring us back, note that the chapter is not titled, You Agnostics, or Those Agnostics, or To the Agnostic. It is labeled, it is titled, sorry, We Agnostics. What is An agnostic, and before, we're going to eventually settle on page 48 where we left off two weeks ago. An agnostic is, ag means without, gnostic means knowledge, agnostic without knowledge. That's what it means. A believer is someone who believes very strongly that there is a God. Normally, they will believe in a religious deity or whatever deity, whatever higher power they choose to believe in. They can be an atheist and still be a believer that there's a power greater than themselves. They can be be a believer or an atheist and still believe that there's a power greater than themselves. An atheist is absolutely certain, absolutely sure that there is no religious deity. Is belief in a religious deity a necessity for recovery in OA? Absolutely not. And there are many, many of us who have very tight relationships with religion, and some of us have very loose relationships with religion. But that's not the point of OA. OA is not affiliated with any religious doctrine or or anything like that. What we are simply here to do is to recover. And in order to recover, there is a question and a statement that I must look at. So if it's we agnostics, maybe in the gestalt, maybe in the larger sense We have a sense that there is a God. We have a sense that God made it possible for the Red Sea to split or for the burning bush or for the Cubs to win the World Series in 2016. We have all these miracles in front of us to look at and we say, yes, there's a God, but, and I'm in sales and I've been in sales my entire life, and we're trained from the day we walk in, anything that is said before the but is to be discarded completely. I really love these cars, but it won't fit my budget. So what I'm hearing is you can't afford this car. I really love what you're doing here. I really love these suits, but I'm not ready to buy one yet. I hear he or she isn't ready to buy one yet. You're trained in sales to ignore everything prior to the word but. Once you say the word but, I clear my memory of anything said before it. I believe that there is a God, but I'm not sure he, she, it is concerned about my food. I believe that there's a God, but I'm not really sure that he, she, it, whatever it is, I'm going to use more the pronoun he. If that offends you, I'm sorry. And again, as I said three weeks ago when we started this chapter, this is the hardest chapter for me to talk about. There is no concept more difficult to present than we agnostics because you get into all kinds of doctrines and directions that this person agrees with, but this person doesn't. But in fairness to recovery, we must talk about these things. Now, all of us have difficulties in our life, but we're trained by the culture that we were born into to pull ourselves up by the bootstrap. We're trained to use our willpower. We're trained to take action. And we question ourselves, what are you going to do about this? We say to ourselves, what can I do about this, this, or this? Now, we all have challenges. I've lost over 500 pounds. I have 21 years of beautiful abstinence. My life works in a lot of directions, but ignore everything before the but. I have a daughter who hasn't spoken to me in 10 years, but my wife divorced me 10 years ago, but I, whatever, you can fill in many blanks and we all have these various challenges. Now, is belief in a higher power going to eradicate all challenges? No, it's not. No matter how involved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being. And as a human being, things are going to come out of left field. They're going to come out of right field, center field, or in the bleachers. That are going to disrupt me. They're going to disturb me. And as such, I'm going to need to gravitate to the steps. But this is a particularly difficult passage to speak on. So please bear with me. Now, what are the what is the statement and the question that we used to predicate being up to page 48. The the thesis line of the big book, the thesis line of the big book is on page 45. And it says the main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. Notice it doesn't say problems plural. It says problems singular. Now, let's talk about that for just a minute. If it's the main object of this book to find a power greater than myself, which I choose to call God, okay? I choose to call that power God. If that offends you, I pre-apologize. I'm not trying to offend you. All I can do is share my hope, my strength, and my experience. And sometimes I call God Izzy because Israel is not just a country Israel is a name for God. In in our culture, Israel is a name that you can call God. So that's so so I'm just going to present what I have in my life. Page 45 near the top of the page, it says, "Well, that's what this book is all about." Its main object is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. And if I have a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem, that means if it's the main object of the book, it better be the main object of my life. So is the main object of this program abstinence? No, abstinence is a byproduct of the program. Abstinence is not the main object of the pro- program. Yes, it's a requirement. Yes, it's vital to recovery. Yes, without abstinence, there is no recovery. But the main object of this book and the main object of my life is not just abstinence because length of abstinence will not be Give me respite from this disease. How do I know that? Well, before losing over 500 pounds, I had lost weight before. All of the, I would venture to say, unless you're anorexic or unless you're severely bulimic and anore- or anorexic, you've lost a lot of weight before. I know many of you, who, if I know you, you've gained and lost and gained and lost. Losing weight does not produce the necessary spiritual awakening to affect a recovery. If it did, then Weight Watchers would have cured me years ago. In my part of the country, I'm from Chicago, I was born and raised there. We had something called TOPS, T-O-P-S, take off pounds sensibly. I don't think they're around anymore. I never hear it. I never see it advertised. So I'm going to assume that they're gone. It was a Milwaukee, Wisconsin outfit, uh, TOPS, and they were. I was an international TOPS king. And when I was in high school, I weighed 335 pounds, and I went in as a 17-year-old to Top's, and I lost, I think, 80 or 90 pounds. And there's a hotel in Chicago, and it's called the Pit Congress. It's on Michigan. Uh, right across from where I went to college at Roosevelt. It's, it's Michigan and Congress, if you know Chicago. It's at Michigan and Congress. And I went down there and they put a sash on me and I strutted down the runway like Cindy Crawford and everybody was clapping for me and I had lost 80 or 90 pounds. And on the way home from this thing, I went to a place on Devon Avenue, my favorite Italian place, and I chowed down at Palermo. But the bottom line is losing weight didn't make me feel any better. It made me feel worse because food is not the problem. Food is the solution to the problem. So if I restrict my intake of food with no spiritual awakening, I am going to feel like garbage. And many of you have stood there in in your life and wondered, I thought that if I lost X amount of pounds, life was going to be fantastic. And it was anything but fantastic. As a matter of fact, you felt worse and you couldn't understand why this promise didn't come true. And so you threw in the towel and you hand waved like this. If I ever do end up writing my book, I'm going to say the hand wavers never make it because the hand wave is followed by the effort. And then on the way back, the hand grabs the food and puts it in the mouth. So losing weight did not give me respite from this disease. Going to a ton of meetings does not give me respite from this disease. I don't go to -to face-to-face meetings since the pandemic in March The last time I went to a meeting at the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club was, I think, March 12th, and I think the 13th was the Friday, and a lot of the information come avalanching down, and I stopped, and that's when we hooked our phone meetings up and blah, 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 and the rest, and we went to Zoom, and the rest is history. Well, going to, I've probably been to more OA meetings than most of you. Just going to meetings alone will not produce the necessary spiritual awakening hang on when i moved here from chicago and oregon i brought all my allergies with me so hang on (sighs) okay so going to a ton of meetings will not produce the necessary spiritual awakening having a super sponsor people want people want the super sponsor oh i've got so-and-so as my sponsor blah 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 that won't do it either I must have a relationship with a power greater than myself. The main object of this book is to help you find that power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. What's my problem? The problem that I have isn't a financial problem, although that may be part of it. It is not a marital problem, although that may be part of what's bothering me, or a pet problem or a living in this neighborhood as opposed to that neighborhood problem. That's not it. The problem that I have is lack of power is my dilemma. And the necessary power is that power that's greater than myself. Power over food? Hardly. Power over the buildup of human emotions, which from the time I was born has been catapulting me against my will right into the arms of the good humor man, or chips ahoy cookies, or God knows what. So the power that I lack is only attainable through a relationship with a power greater than myself. So, it's, so we have pockets of agnosticism. I'm sure that God will split the Red Sea. Positive of it. I know this, and God's going to do the burning bush, and God's going to create little puppies and he's going to create little forests and creatures and oh that's so fantastic but I don't think God's going to help me and I hear this all the time I get phone calls from people about this pretty much every day of my life and some of them are from people that are extremely religious people and so my definition of God is one that says, you are here with me, you care about every aspect of my life, and even when things don't go my way, even when my heart is breaking because of a divorce, or because of my girlfriend dumped me, or because the Cubs lost yesterday, or whatever that may be, I can move through my life just Doing the next right thing, working a 10th step, getting out of myself, and the days turn into weeks, turn into months and years, and I haven't found it necessary for over 21 years to shove food in my mouth that I wouldn't want you to know about, and that's going to destroy me. I haven't done that because I haven't wanted to. Oh my God, if I wanted to, you wouldn't be able to stop me. You could bring the army, the Navy, the air force and the Marines, and you would not be able to stop me from eating chips ahoy or eating candy or cookies or what have you, because that's just, I'm a monster when it comes to food, when I'm in my disease. So these pockets of agnosticism, the pockets of not knowing, whether there is a God or not a God. Ag means without, Gnostic means knowledge. So I have to apply it in all areas of my life. And then it says on page 47, in the middle of the page is the essence of step two, page 47, it says, we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. And here's the guts of step two. Do I now believe, or am I even willing to believe, that there is a power greater than myself. And notice that power is capitalized. The reason that power is capitalized is he's talking about God. And this, again, is the most difficult chapter to talk about, to present, because it, it brings up in us this kind of resistance that says, yeah, I'm too smart for that. You might be able to throw your BS past the the younger people, but I've been around the block and I am street smart here. And I don't think that there's a God that's going to do this or do that. And there's 119 people on the line here today. And there isn't one of you that hasn't looked up at the heavens through tears in your eyes and said, why my son? Why my daughter? why my mother, why me, why my father, why my friend? And you begged God to spare them and they died anyway. You begged God to, um, to change their behavior and they kept on drinking or they kept on drugging or they kept whatever they were doing or not doing that was hurting you. They kept on or keep on doing it. And you looked up in the sky and said, damn, you curse you, God. Because if you were really there, if, I, if you were really there, I wouldn't be suffering the way I am because I miss my mother so much or I miss my son or my daughter or my pet or whatever it is. And I'll give you something that you can put in the bank. No one knows why. I had a dear friend in program. Her name was Sherry B. And if I had had a brain, I would have married her. Sherry B has been dead for many years now. She died when I was still living in Oregon, so I'm out of Oregon now. 18 years. So she died 22, 23 years ago, uh, when my daughter was a baby, was a toddler, is when she died. And she died in Chicago, alone in her condo, at about 400 pounds. And the world is a is a darker place with her gone she loved life and she loved the color purple and she loved blues music above all else these are the things that she loved and she was a psychologist she was a psychologist's psychologist and when they couldn't figure out what to do or they couldn't figure out what to say they would call her and she was a dear dear soul A dear soul, kind, but she wouldn't put the food down until she could do a successful forensic analysis of why she was eating it. But running behind that program in her heart was the fact that her father was a Holocaust survivor. And as a Holocaust survivor, he witnessed and was privy to the most inhumane treatment of man that the world has ever seen. It is the greatest crime against humanity that has ever been perpetrated. He managed to survive, but he was deeply, deeply injured as the result of his experience. Why did... Why did this occur, this Holocaust? Why do people kill one another? Why do people rape their children? Why do people molest? Why do people abuse? And why do people do these things? And I'll tell you in a sentence, I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that God doesn't put robots on the earth. He puts human beings. And as a human being, we have choices to do the right thing or the, bad, or the wrong thing. And sometimes that's a matter of perspective. But we are not robots and we can choose to do evil. And many, many, many people chose to do evil then and choose to do evil today. But we have pockets of agnosticism that say, wait a minute, I know about little puppies and I know about little kitties and I know about unicorns and rainbows and and leprechauns and all these beautiful things and music and wonder wonderment but what about that i don't know but here's what i do know if i do not come to a place where i'm willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself i'm not going to recover from this disease If I don't come to a place where I'm willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself, I'm not going to recover from this disease. Is this the hill you want to die on? Is this as far as you're going to go? Are you going to draw that line in the sand and say to God, I will believe in you, whatever it is your perception is. If my perception or the way I'm presenting it or the words I'm using suggest a religious deity and that is offensive to you, I apologize. I don't know how to use any other words. I'm going to try to be as germ. as, 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 as germane, I'm going to try to be as neutral as I can be. But again, it's hard stuff to present. But is this the hill that I want to die on? Is this the hill that I want to die on? So that's a question I must ask myself too. So am I, do I believe or am I willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself and I can call it anything I want. My first higher power was Lake Michigan. And if you've ever been to Chicago, it's huge. It's 196 miles long, it's 91 miles wide. It's huge and sometimes it's violent and sometimes it's just as peaceful as your bathtub. It just depends which way the wind is blowing. And I would go to, I went to college downtown at Roosevelt University. I would go down Lake Shore Drive and I would see it, and I would. This was my higher power. It was my first higher power. Dog works, especially for dyslexic people. Dog works good. Cat works good. Whatever it is you are willing to believe in, and there's two things I need to know about God, and I need to know them desperately. And there are, being that this is Saturday and then tomorrow there are rabbis and priests and ministers and preachers, and there's, there's lay people and poets and musicians and philosophers. There are historians of all denominations that are going to philosophize today and tomorrow and all days about what God is and what God is not. There's only two things I need to know about God. There is one, and it's not me. There is one, and it's not me. So it has to be a power greater than myself. And the question, do I believe or am I willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself, looms easy to answer under those from that perspective. And the answer is yes. Now, without beleaguering this, because I know we want to get to page 48 where we left off, what did Ebby show Bill? Ebby showed Bill that there is a way out of the morass of your alcoholism, Bill. I'm sober and you're drunk. He took all argument away from him. And in Bill's story, it says, I saw, I, I saw, I believed. What did he see? He saw a sober alcoholic. What did he believe? He believed that things were possible through God. I, I saw, I felt. What did he feel? Hope. I saw, I felt, I believe. And that's Bill's story. And we all know that because we went through that and we spent a lot of time on that. And that is very, very important for us to remember. I'll give you the page number if you're following at home. The page number for that is, <clears throat> I believe, 12. Yeah. So I saw, I felt, I believed. He says, would I have it? Of course I would. Is what you're doing relative to God, fighting a battle that just doesn't exist, saying to God, yeah, you screwed up and you did this and you did that, but we're, we're recovering and maybe you're struggling Maybe you're still on that struggle bus. Okay, let's go to page 48. And the paragraph that we left off on is in the middle of the page. The reader may still ask why he should believe we're in the middle of 48 in a power greater than himself, We think there are good reasons. Let us have a look at some of them. And I've already gone through a bunch of them, so we don't need to rehash that. I've already done that. The practical individual of today is a stickler for facts and results. Nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts theories of all kinds, provided they are firmly grounded in fact. And we want to look at the facts, right? We want to look at the science. What's everybody clamoring for as we enter into month, whatever it is of this pandemic, we want to know the science of everything. And unfortunately, so many of us want to know the science of our illness. Here's the science of my illness. If I could have done something about this 61 years ago, when I was five years old, I would have done it. If I remember back to my childhood, I was four years old, and there's a big park in Chicago called Gompers Park. And at Gompers Park, I was at a picnic with my parents, I was four years old, and I ate a whole container of chocolate chip cookies that was for everybody, and there was like a bunch of people there, and I ate the whole thing. Nobody was paying attention to me, nobody was playing with me, so I ate the cookies. And my mother and father were very, very embarrassed. And when I, was that, when I was that age, I already knew there was something wrong. There was something amiss. And my mother and father were so embarrassed, and it hurt me so much, that I swore to God, I'm going to lose weight, and I'm not going to eat that way anymore. I'm not going to do it. And I said that with tears in my eyes. And it wasn't the first time that I had had that particular talk with myself. Well, you know the story. That didn't happen. When I was nine years old, I was put on heavy-duty amphetamines by Dr. Jacobson on Devon and Milwaukee Avenue. He started screaming at my mother in Yiddish. My mother would scream back at him in Yiddish, and the next thing I knew, I was on big pink pills that loaded me up with amphetamine so that I slept about 15, maybe 20 minutes a month, but I didn't eat. Oh, boy, did it kill your appetite. Holy crap. (sighs) So, If I could have done this myself, I would have done this myself. Maybe you're not a compulsive overeater like me. Maybe you're the other side of the coin. Maybe you're anorexic. Maybe you're bulimic. I know that there's some... I don't know if this person is on the line or not. I I don't have the time or the interest to go through all the names, and I just want to present, and I don't care. But I have a friend that lives in Northern California, and she is movie star status, movie star status, absolute movie star status. You would look at her and you'd think to yourself, if you were in a meeting of all, wait, what the hell is she doing here? She's an anorexic and bulimic. She's not, she doesn't have my particular side of the coin. She gets a high. She gets that effect that Dr. Silkworth talks about by restricting the amount of food she takes in. She also gets a high from purging that food out. There's three forms of bulimia that are most prevalent. There's regurgitation bulimia, where you vomit. There is exercise bulimia. And there's laxative abuse bulimia, too. So maybe you're a laxative abuser. Maybe you're an exercise bulimia. I have an, another friend of mine lives in Colorado. Again, movie star status. Exercises beyond, beyond reason. Hurts her body no matter what side of the coin you're on, if you could have done this yourself, you would have. My friends that are in that category, is, you know, they're dumpster diving, gutter, back alley, worst neighborhood in, in the city, dumpster diving, compulsive overeaters, just like me, but they just have a different side of the coin. The point of this is, and I guess it's a little lengthy, The point of it is, if you could have done this yourself, you would have done this yourself. So I have to come to the conclusion that it's not going to happen by self-will alone. Let's continue. Nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts theories of all kinds, provided they are firmly grounded in fact. Here's a fact for you. Put this in your pipe and smoke it. On your own, based on your willpower, based on your discipline, based on your desire not to eat this way anymore, your disease is laughing in your face. How do I know that? If that wasn't true, you wouldn't be in OA and you wouldn't be here on the line this morning. Your way sucks. Your way doesn't work. There's another person I know that's on, I don't know if they're on the line now or not. Again, I don't have the time and I don't have the interest to go scrolling through here. This particular person is female, lives in New York, and has had bariatric surgery not once, but twice or three times, bariatric surgery three times. Three freaking times. And I know people, some of them are dead, that have had bariatric surgery in its barbarian stages. And when it first came out and they did the, these people were rushed to the hospital in the middle of the night. Many of them died because that surgery was barbaric. And if that could have cured you, you wouldn't be here today. You'd be not here. You would be doing something else. And there are thousands of people dead from those stomach staplings that they would do 30 years ago. That surgery was barbaric. It was barbaric. Some of you have had staples put in your ear. Some of you, and I know that I can't see who's on here or not. Remember the person I told you that was at my first meeting? Remember that person that I told you about? If you don't remember her name, whatever. Doesn't matter. I don't know if she's still on the line or not. I can't tell. We went to meetings with at least two women who had the, urine of pregnant women shot up their butt they paid a doctor to shoot urine up their butt from a pregnant woman these methods fail utterly and the god idea works and that's good enough for me let's continue we have numerous numerous theories for example about electricity everybody believes that without a murm- believes them without a murmur of doubt. Why this ready acceptance? Simply because it is impossible to explain what we see, feel, direct, and use without a reasonable assumption as a starting point. Everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there is good evidence but no perfect visual proof. And does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? It is being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world that outward appearances are not inward reality at all to illustrate. But let me just, let me just ask you a question. How many of you of the 124 of you that are on the line, how many of you have flown in an airplane? Okay. How many of you could explain to me scientifically on paper, how an airplane flies? You just trusted that it would get you where you wanted to go. Now, when I was a little boy, you went to places like the Pittsfield building in Chicago at 55 Washington. You'd get on an elevator there, and the man in a uniform would run the elevator. You didn't touch any controls. He'd say, what floor, please? And they would take you to whatever floor you needed to go, and they would slide open the door, and they would say, Here is your floor, ma'am, or here is your floor, sir, as the case may be. Now, how many of you, 50, 60, 100 stories above earth, have gotten in an elevator and pushed a button and went up and down in a cylinder, in a tube, knowing full well that you'd be fine? How many of you could explain to me, on paper, how an elevator works? You just saw other people doing it, so you did it, and it was fine. And through your experience of surviving it, you just got to trust it. You were taking your life in your hands. You were 50 stories above Earth. If that elevator plunged down to the bottom of that elevator shaft, you would have been killed. If that plane blew out of the sky at 35,000 feet, you would not have survived it. The chances are very low that you would have survived. And yet we see people by the thousands recovering from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and we tell ourselves that because they expouse to us that they are doing so through spiritual means, we shut that off. And Bill Wilson did that too. Bill Wilson didn't like this idea of a, spiritual answer to his problem. He resisted it. He resisted it with everything he had. And finally, I took all argument away from him. He said, why don't you choose your own conception of God? And that took all argument away from Bill. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? Have a God that does care about your food and does care about your life and does care about your love, and your finances, and your family, and your friends, that does care. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to do what you want them to do, or that life is going to just go your way. There's nothing in this book that says, at this point now, life is going to be perfect, and everything's going to go your way. There is no such sentence in this book. None whatsoever. Let's continue. The prosaic, but through it all, I don't have to eat, and that makes everything better. The prosaic steel girder is a mass of electrons whirling around each other at incredible speed. These tiny bodies are governed by precise laws, and these laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. We have no reason to doubt it when, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested that underneath the material world, And life as we see it, there's an all-powerful, guiding, creative intelligence right there. Our perverse streak comes to the surface, and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. We read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments, thinking we believe this universe needs no God to explain it. Where our contentions true, it would follow that life originated out of nothing means nothing and proceeds nowhere. I love going to the OA Birthday. The OA Birthday and the Vision Convention in Newark, New Jersey are my favorite uh, conventions. They are my favorite conventions. And the reason that they're my favorite conventions is 100% because there's a lot of recovery there. There's the World Convention of OA and there's other conventions, regional conventions and different things. I like the birthday and I like the, um, what do you call it? The vision convention in Newark. The reason I like them is there's a ton of recovery. Now, when people come to Los Angeles, one of the things that they do, a lot of them will gather up in the lobby of the hotel real early in the morning, like 5:30, six o'clock in the morning. And they'll go out to the beach. They'll go out to Santa Monica and they'll go to the beach And they'll watch the sun come up over the Pacific Ocean. And then they'll come back to the lobby and they'll, oh, what a miracle, what a miracle. You should have been with us. It was fantastic. I love sunrises and I love sunsets and I love all that stuff. That's great. But the greatest miracle is in the lobby of the hotel and in the rooms and in the conference centers of that hotel. You've got compulsive overeaters who are predetermined biologically to kill themselves with food, not compulsively overeating, and they are happy in their release. And that's so much the difference. You see, dieting is miserable. It's a miserable existence. It's just miserable. It's, It's depravity. And that's why it doesn't work for people like me. It doesn't work at all. But release through spiritual means is a joy to behold. And it is the most wonderful way of life imaginable. Never in my wildest imagination would I ever think that I would be released from my desire to eat Chips Ahoy cookies or good humor bars, or if you don't know what a good humor bar is, when I was a little boy in Chicago, they had the good humor man and they would go up and down the street and ring their bells and they would sell you ice cream. And it was just fabulous. When they would come down the street, the whole neighborhood would go crazy. And and I was having a conversation this morning about it with an old, old, old friend. And uh, that's why it was in my mind. But to not think that I have to go and do that is the greatest release, the greatest freedom in the world. I used to think freedom meant that I could eat anything and everything I wanted to eat. Today, freedom means I don't have to eat it and I can be happy about it. Let's continue. Instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation, we agnostics and atheists chose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and end of it all, rather vain of us, wasn't it? We who have traveled this dubious path beg you to lay aside prejudice, even against organized religion... We have learned that whatever the human frailties of various faiths may be, those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. People of faith have a logical idea of what life is all about. Actually, we used to have no reasonable conception, whatever. We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices when we might have observed that many spiritual-minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness which we should have sought ourselves. I was very, I was very put off by the, the synagogue that I attended as a child. And I was put off because I felt like, first of all, they were praying and conducting everything in Hebrew which was a language I really didn't understand. I had a rudimentary understanding of 25, 30, 50 words, and I had a little rudimentary understanding of what was going on, but not really. And what I would do as a kid is I would endure the service. I would endure it, and I knew at the end that there'd be sponge cake. They used to serve whiskey, and sponge cake at my synagogue. And what I would do is, even as a kid, I would grab as much whiskey as I could if I couldn't get my hands on enough sponge cake, because I could trade the whiskeys for sponge cake. I would use the whiskeys as a currency and try to get more sponge cake to eat. And that's why or how I endured the service. But I never really felt a part of it. I never really felt like God was speaking to me in a synagogue. Now I can attend if I want to. And if it's the right kind of place or the right situation, I'm okay with it. But when I was a kid, I felt very alienated from what was going on around me. I wasn't religious enough. I wasn't observant enough. I wasn't learned enough. And so at some point, my brain just said, you know what? If I'm not good enough and I really don't know what the heck's going on, I'd just as soon stay home and watch the Lone Ranger and the Three Stooges. I would just as soon do that, and so that's what I did. But what I didn't have was that good feeling of having a relationship with God. Now, God never came to me in the synagogue. If God comes to you in the church, God comes to you in a synagogue or a mosque, or God comes to you in whatever way God comes to you, that's beautiful, and that's fantastic. God came to me in O.A., God brought me to OA and OA brought me to God. So I have a strong faith today. I have a strong belief. Let's go to the top of 50. But for me, religion did not speak to me as loudly or clearly as these concepts of OA did. It just doesn't work for me that way. Is it wrong? No. Is it different? Yes. Everybody has their different path. Everybody has their different path. We're at the top of 50. Instead, we looked at the human defects of these people and sometimes used their shortcomings as a basis of wholesale condemnation. I'm going to use Bernie Madoff. Now, Bernie Madoff was obviously not someone that I knew as a child, but I'm going to use Bernie Madoff because it is a very... Easy example for people to understand. If you don't know who Bernie Madoff is, he's still alive. He's the one that cheated a lot of people out of their money in a Ponzi scheme. And he lived in New York and now he's in jail. But I'm gonna use Bernie Madoff as a beautiful example. He and his behavior do not represent Judaism to me. He is a person and he did bad things. I'm a person. I've done bad things. I've yelled at people. I've said offensive things to people. I yelled F you at my mother. I, when I, I was sick and I wanted a Duncan yo-yo and they brought me a yo-yo, but it wasn't the Imperial. I yelled F you at my mother. And I'm ashamed that I did that, and I'm embarrassed, and I'm sorry that I did that. And let me tell you, that wasn't the only time I yelled that at her. I was very mean to her at times. I used to get exasperated. My father couldn't say vegetables. He'd say vegetables. And I'd say, God damn it, why can't you just say vegetables? And his answer never made any sense to me. He always had the same answer. I never went to day camp met a Superman lunchbox. I never went to day camp with a Superman lunchbox. What the heck does that have to do with the way you're saying English? And he was trying to convey to me, he came here as a 14-year-old, and he went right to work. He had survived massive murder in, in Russia. He was 14 years old. He didn't speak English as a native language. He never went to school here. He went to whole house so he could become a uh, citizen, but he never to day camp. A Superman lunchbox meant, I'm not an American, leave me alone. But I yelled at him, and I, you know, and some of my friends later on said, you know, he's just screwing with you. He could say it. But my dad would say, you want to go to Lincoln Village? And I'd say, if you can say, Vaunt, why can't you say Village? And his response was the same. I never went to day camp mid a Superman lunchbox, and it would get me crazy. And I said things to him, and I said things to my mother I'm ashamed of. And until I did enough inventory and made amends to them, although they were dead before I came here, I felt horrible. The reason I'm bringing this up is because we have these things in our closet. We have these things in our basement. And we look at the defects of character, and what we do is we say, all people who are Christian are like this. All people that are Catholics do this. All people that are, and it's not true. It's not true. Not true at all. Most priests, ministers, rabbis, whatever it is, some of them do terrible things, and you can read the headlines as easily as I can. Most of them don't do that. Most of them are loving, giving people who minister to the sick and the disadvantaged, and they minister to the unhealthy, and they are there for the people who want them to be there for them. Most priests and ministers and rabbis and 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 inmans and all these other various people, they love their congregants and they love people and they're charitable and they're wonderful. But we let the few taint us from the many. And there are people in OA that crack their knuckles in meetings. And there are people in OA that pick their nose in meetings. And there are people in OA that play with their glasses in meetings or they say stupid things or they say things that irritate the crap out of you. Is that all of OA? No. But as long as people are going to come together, some are going to irritate others. And that's just the way life is. But this wholesale condemnation is a manufactured product of our ego that because the organization and the pieces that comprise it are not perfect, I'm going to write off the whole thing because my ego wants to stay in charge. All this basically is, this condemnation, is the ego asserting itself saying, I want to be in charge. You don't need these people. I will take you to where you want to go. Now, the ego that I have is a very persuasive ego, but let's look at the record. My ego has never, ever, ever gotten me to a place that was good. God has. I'm still alive, and doctors have been pronouncing me dead from the time I was 17 years old and i'm still alive i'm 66 years old if i die tomorrow i've had a ver- or today i've had a wonderful life in a lot of ways i've had a wonderful life yes it's been fraught with danger and it's been fraught with rejection and loneliness like you wouldn't believe poverty <sighs> physical pain physical discomfort shame Humiliation, I've had all those things. Loneliness, I was emasculated by this disease, physically and emotionally. I went on my first date with a girl. I was 35 years old. But I know what it's like to live. And that's the real deal here. It's not that you were going to die. We're all going to die. Whether you're in, Roseanne is dead. Bill Wilson is dead. Dr. Bob is dead. Ebby is dead. Father Father Dowling is dead. Sister Ignatia is dead. That's not the point. The point is not, are you going to die? The answer is yes. The question is, will you have lived And the best of lives, the best lives I know are the lives that hold God's hand and say in a childlike manner, where do you want me to go? And who and what do you want me to be? I want to be what you want me to be. I want to go where you want me to go. Oh, the places you'll go and the people you'll meet and the wonderful miracles and the experiences that you're going to have. Oh, I am envious because it is the most beautiful way of life imaginable. And there is no way of life greater than this one. I have been to Jerusalem doing doing a retreat. I have been to Anchorage, Alaska. I have been to San Diego, I've been to Boca Raton, Florida, Boston, Mass, you name it, I've probably been there. I've got lots and lots of miles on the airline because I have gone hither and yon doing these. Oh, the people that I've met are so precious. You know, there's very few places in this world that you could talk to me about where I don't have friends. Whether I've met them or not, they are my friends because we speak and we understand the language of the heart. From Dublin, Ireland to Dublin, Georgia, from Dublin, Ohio to Skokie, Illinois, from Skokie, Illinois to San Diego, from San Diego to Anchorage, Alaska, and back, and Jerusalem, Israel, I have walked on those grounds and I have, or I have known the people and they are my friends. Now, do I know them for a long period of time? Not necessarily. But we speak and understand the language of the heart. And I can talk to them in ways I cannot talk to some of my other friends. They just don't understand. And the joy of seeing these people, whether it's at the coffee plantation here in Scottsdale, or it's at the... the um, convention in Newark, New Jersey, or it's at the OA birthday, or I get a phone call from some of these people, or I hear your voice sharing on the line on a vision for you in the morning. There is a smile on my face and a smile in my heart because you are a part of me. And hopefully I am a part of you. Not many people have that. Not many people can enjoy that. Not many people even know that that's one of the possibilities. We all know people that are fighting against humanity to scratch out a little part of that world. And you don't have to do that. I don't have to outthink and outmanage and outmaneuver you. I can just be who I am and be here and know that God is here too. And as long as he's around, I don't have to worry about anything. It's all going to be okay. It all works out. I work at a business that was massacred by this Corona thing. My bills are still paid. I, I may not have enough to retire right now. I may not have millions of dollars, but I've got enough money for today. And I've got enough money for tomorrow. And, We'll see what happens after that. I own this wall. This wall is mine. That car outside, it's mine. It's my car. I've got gas in it, full tank. I've got groceries. I've got my medicine. I got what I need. That doesn't come from my self-will. My self-will never provided me with anything. Let's finish this paragraph at least. We talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. Wow, there's an eye-opener. So I saw the hypocrisy of this person, or I saw the hypocrisy of that person, but I didn't see the hypocrisy that I was exuberating. We missed the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. We never gave the spiritual side of life a fair hearing. In our personal stories, you will hear, you will find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power in capital letters, which is greater than himself. Whether we agree with a particular approach or conception means to make little difference. Experience has taught us that these are matters which, about which for our purpose, we need not be worried. They are questions for each individual to settle for himself. In other words, you have to come to peace with an approach or conception that works for you. Whether that conception is a living God or a permanent God or a Jewish God or a Catholic God means nothing. All that matters is that it works for you. All that matters is that it be something that you're willing to believe in. Let's finish the next paragraph, and we'll be done, and we'll go to questions and answers. How does that sound good? On one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. That's the key. And believes... This power has in each case accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible, as a celebrated American statesman put it, let's look at the record. Alfred E. Smith was a New Yorker who ran for president against Roosevelt, and his famous expression at the time that the book was being written was, let's look at the record. So in summation of today, what we've covered and what we've talked about is Many, many times we get in our own way. And how we get in our own way is we have a tendency because of our egos to condemn the many because of the actions of a few. There are some people that are members of a particular religions or there's members of OA that maybe you don't like them. Maybe you don't like me. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. But what I can tell you is this just because there are people in OA or just because there are people of a particular religion, maybe it's a rabbi, maybe it's a priest or a minister or a member of the congregation that acted in a way that you just could not agree with, these little things or big things, as the case may be, put you off. And what you have is wholesale condemnation because of a few. You're getting in your own way. You're getting in your own way. And your ego is what's feeding this. It's saying, I can handle this. Okay. I also hope that today we said something that will help. This is, again, we have a few more sessions to go on this chapter, and then it gets easier for me. This is the hardest step. And the hardest chapter to talk about. And let's always remember, as we said last week, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves came to believe. I came to believe. I woke up from my lethargy. I woke up from my food coma. What does that suggest? It suggests a process, it doesn't suggest an event. So if you're not going to enroll at the yeshiva today or you're not going to enroll at the seminary today or you're not going to enroll, you know, whatever today, that's okay. We came to believe you can start the ball rolling. How do you start the ball rolling? You come to believe first that your way isn't going to work. That's where it starts for me. Maybe it starts differently for you. I don't know. But it starts different for different people. But here's what I had to come to my way sucks. Ugh. My way is terrible. Yucky, mommy, yucky. And my way wasn't working. So God's way does working. But I didn't have a bridge to get from where I was as an angry disbeliever in God, an angry person because my life didn't go. To, I wanted to be the first baseman for the Cubs, damn it. And I wanted to be the quarterback for the Bears. And I wasn't those things. So I was mad. I was mad. I wanted to be rich and thin. And I wanted the girls all to want to kiss me. And they didn't. But what I had to do was I had to start somewhere. I had to say, for today, I'm going to pray. For today, I'm going to work toward a belief in God. And it started with a description of God that I was willing to believe in, a God that cared deeply about me, a God that looked out for me. I had nobody to look out for me, and God did. And when God couldn't come, he sent people. He sent human beings, gods with skin, to look out for me and to say to me, you matter to me. You matter to us. All I wanted to do was matter to somebody. I didn't have a mom. I didn't have a dad. I didn't have sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, cousins. I didn't have that, but I had wonderful friends. This is the time of year where we're getting into the holidays, and you see the Courier and Ives and the Norman Rockwell images And you see all this stuff. And my life sure as hell didn't match up to that. My life didn't match up to the Budweiser, Clydesdales going through the snow and the music starts and the lovers are in the back under the blanket and they're in love and they're getting engaged. And the fireplace is going and they're all going to sit down to a turkey dinner. My life didn't look like that. My life didn't look anything anywhere near like that. Are you kidding me? So I had to start from where I was. We're going to talk about this next week. I know it's time for questions and answers.